and welcome to Hallelujah Monkeys for April 3rd, 2017. I am Dylan Flynn. I am Trevor Ickrath. Trevor, uh, second episode. I've been I've been really juiced up about uh, recording this with you. Yeah. Like, all week I've been looking forward to it. I am psyched to be here. And I think a big a big reason for that is that we've had such a lovely outpouring and and embracement uh, embracement is that a word I think so from the okay I like it from the uh, from the gorillas fan community they've just been so lovely to us I have been overwhelmed by how positive the response has been not even just how positive it's been how universally positive it, right. it has been I don't think we heard like a word of criticism. And these are from people with screen names, so theoretically they could call us anything they want to. They could say anything. It. Yeah, it's it's like Jay Z said, the internet is the wild west. But we've just gotten really lovely, you know, uh, emails from listeners and and Twitter and Reddit responses, and and uh, it just really makes us feel emboldened. Hopefully, our our fan nerdiness makes you feel like you're a part of it, and definitely keep like talking to us on social media and writing, and we just love hearing from you guys. I want to recommend if you are a Gorillaz fan and you feel like you don't have a home, like you have nowhere to go and be a Gorillaz fan, uh, I've really gotten into using Discord over the last uh, week. I still don't really know what Discord is. I feel like that's something for people who have more friends than I do. No, it's not. It really isn't. Because there, I don't. as far as I can tell, there are really no friends lists on Discord. Uh, it's just like a chat room platform god chat rooms have um, come back like in 2017 yes, chat rooms are back yes and i'm currently in like as we record this i am in three different gorillas fan chat rooms and i got a big up one in particular the one that is connected to the gorillas subreddit the the r gorillas uh chat really cool community really uh loving and and sweet people there and uh if you're just at this phase where you really want to nerd out about this band and you don't have anybody to do it, go seek that out. I really recommend it. Cool. I'll definitely try and pop in there. That sounds pretty good. Awesome. Trev, let's get into the news. It actually was a pretty busy week. Nice, yeah. More Park. happened than I was expecting to. It's all good news now. Uh, you know, these aren't, there's not a lot to say about these, so I'm just going to throw two things out here at the top um, that are happening or will happen. Uh, but one of them is that T-Mobile is going to be apparently releasing, a, at some point, a full recording of the print work show. Yes, that is very cool. I'm really looking forward to returning to that once I hear the studio album. Yes, me too. Me too. So that'll be cool. Uh, more on that, obviously, when we know more. We don't even really know release or anything like that. Uh, and then also, this is just kind of a dumb, funny thing, but the somebody found the Spirit House from the Saturday I saw party. That. Yeah, it's in Detroit. <laughs> yeah, it's in Detroit. Yeah. And it looks real spooky. Like, even without, you know, added effects all over it, it looks like a friggin' haunted house in the middle of a neighborhood. Well, I mean, that is where um, St. Clown Posse are from. So maybe they're hinting <laughs> maybe, at a possible yeah. future collab. I guess we'll see. Oh, boy. A man can dream, Trevor. You know, Gorillas Eminem collab win. Could you imagine seeing like an official piece of Jamie Hewlett artwork of the band in full clown makeup? <laughs> <laughs> okay, uh, let's get into some real news here. So this is awesome, Trevor. Gorillas have now broken the record uh, for the most successful debut of a VR music video. Yeah, that's very cool. I don't usually keep up with like records and charts and stuff like that, but I don't know. That's cool. Very sick. Yeah, you know, I mean, you might think, well, of course, they're like early adopters. But if you look at some of the names that have done VR music videos, it's a pretty impressive list of people. Uh, Jack White has done one, Bjork. Yeah, the Weeknd. The Weeknd. Duran Duran. Uh, so as as of today, uh, the Saturn's Bars video is at 5.8 million views. That's for the, the 360 version, obviously. Not bad. Uh, but the but the big number was that it got it got three million in the first forty eight hours. So that's what everybody was citing as like this big moment for the format. Um, and I guess right now the most viewed VR music video on YouTube is an Avicii song called uh, "Waiting for Love." Avicii is like an EDM artist or something, right? All here's what I know about Avicii. Do you remember that terrible Mike Posner song? I took a pill in Ibiza. <laughs> Little bit. So the first lyric of that is, I took a pill in Ibiza to, to show Avicii I was cool, uh, which is really depressing, because I think Mike Posner is like in his late 30s, and Avicii is a 19-year-old. 
Hello, fellow kids. Yes, I know. Very sad. Uh, but Avicii's video has 18 million views, so obviously Saturn's Bars got a little ways to go to catch up. We'll get with there. That. We will get there. We will get there for sure. I don't think we're going to see uh, another video until like we're well into the post-release of Humans. That's my guess. Yeah, I, I would be surprised if we get another one kind of within the next couple of months. Maybe over the right. summer? Maybe over the summer. <laughs> and speaking of, what an excellent segue. Thank you for teeing that up, Trevor. Of course. Because, uh, because gorillas have now started to announce that this summer they're going to be headlining a bunch of festivals, uh, which... Correct me if I'm wrong, Trevor. That's what that's basically what they did before the Plastic Beach tour, right? They I think did so. like a summer of festivals, yeah. mm-hmm. and then yeah. Surprised they're uh, doing so that again after uh, you know the negative reviews we read on the last podcast. Doesn't seem oh, like right. that. Oh yeah. right. No, here's what we got. We got three announced so far. Um, there's the uh, Festival d'Ete uh, de Quebec. Sorry for my terrible pronunciation. Uh, which is on the Bell Stage in the Plains of Abraham Park in Quebec City. Uh, that's on July 15th. That's going to be their first North American date of this leg. Well, unless, unless Trevor, because there is some weird rumblings, not enough to really put a news story about it. But if you've been looking at Noodle's Instagram profile, which I'm sure you have, Trevor, haven't you? I'm on daily? that shit like 24-7. <laughs> well, they've been posting a lot of pictures of Noodle uh, in and around New York City. And the the kind of like every day they put a new one up. Uh, and the the feeling is perhaps they're teasing that there's going to be some kind of a secret show, you know, in the coming week or so. I have heard those um, rumblings. Yeah. What kind of venue do you think they would uh, they would play in New York City to do something? I like think, that? Uh, boy, you know, the fact that they're even even mentioning it on social media in any way makes me think big. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think if it was like a no announcement invitation only thing, then he would play in a little you know two hundred seater room or something. Yeah. Um, but I don't know. I don't know. Uh, maybe a club. It seems like this is a real, a real dancey record. They played Madison Square Garden last phase, right? Yes, but I don't think Madison Square Garden is in the business of secret shows. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good point. I think that was the only show that Lou Reed showed up for, though. I remember uh, somebody I knew went to that, and apparently it was very cool. Well, he continued to live in New York until the day he died, I believe. Yeah. So that that makes sense. He's just like, all right, I guess I am, I'll leave my apartment. I am so upset that Lou Reed is dead and thus will not be able to be on this podcast. I know. What a, what a shame. Maybe yeah. we can do some kind of a real stupid, like, free as a bird John Lennon thing where <laughs> would, we take yes. old archives Recut of him. It, that'd be perfect. <laughs> uh, that's July 15th. I think I mentioned that. And then uh, here's the other one. This is kind of weird. Gold Rush, which is... Coachella apparently is starting a new festival in Australia. Yeah, the Australian Coachella. That has not officially been announced, but what did happen is that Diplo posted a picture of the schedule of it on his Snapchat. Fucking Diplo. Diplo. And I mean, scoop not only the schedule, but the fact that the the festival even exists. Like, that's ballsy. We learned about Australian Coachella from a Diplo leak? Yeah, from a Diplo Snapchat post. (laughs) Diplo. I know, they're going to be on that. Uh, that's November 4th, so that's the latest of these announced dates. But the reason that I saved this one for last is I think it's very special. I think a certain quotient of, uh, Jap- of, of Japanese Gorillaz fans are going to be very excited to know that uh, the Fuji Rock Festival 2017 will feature Gorillaz as a, as a headliner. That is in the uh, Naeba Ski Resort in the uh, Minamiu-Onuma district. Sorry about the pronunciation of the Niigata Prefecture of Japan. And the reason that this is so special is that this is the first show that this band, the first live appearance by this band since August 18th, 2001. Nice. I was so actually going to ask what their international tour history has been. I can't really remember if they've ever... Like, what countries have they played besides, you know, the States, Canada? In and, in and around Europe, certainly. Right. Um... And then, uh, and finally, Trevor, this is kind of exciting. The the first of the official remixes have started to to trickle out. Yeah, that's pretty cool. Um, you know, I feel like I I have a personal record that's a little bit maybe spotty with official Gorillaz remixes. Yeah, I, I've never really historically been a fan of Gorillaz remixes or really remixes in general. I think there are a handful <clears throat> that I like. Um, Definitely, but but. A handful, you know. That um, uh, that DFA remix uh, of Dare from Phase Two is particularly cool. That one's really cool. Also from Phase Two, I've always been kind of a fan of the Chopper remix of Dirty Harry. That's yeah, kind of that a cool one, one. Yeah, they kind of turned it into more of a rap rock song. 
but anyway, okay, so we got two so far. We've got a remix of Ascension uh, by Nick Fanciuli. You were now tuned into the tomb, but you hope a flame of tunes got enough to shake the room. What's the hold up? Hurt the world is in its tomb. That was premiered on, on Pete Tong's dance music show on BBC Radio 1, by the way. Okay. Uh, and did you get a chance to, to listen to this track, by the way? It's it's like it's really like sweaty, grimy, dancing music. Yeah, you know? my first impression that it sounded like um Nine Inch Nails trying to cover Thunderstruck by A C D C That's it's, pretty apt. Thunder. Yeah. It's definitely the more radical reworking of the two. And I think it's effective. I mean, that's not necessarily the kind of dance music that I that I listen to casually in my home. Yeah. Uh but obviously if you threw that on uh, on a dance floor, it would it would serve its purpose. It takes until Vince Staples comes in for me to really warm up to it, but I think it's you know, it's generally okay. That guy Nick Fanciuli uh, actually ran a venue called La Familia, which is a really big deal in the EDM world. It's it's on it's in Ibiza. It's an outdoor like five thousand person venue that's sort of like a make or break ground for EDM producers. Okay. Uh, and then second, we got a remix of Saturn's Bars by uh, Banks and Ranks. Which was premiered on Mr. Jam, also on BBC Radio 1. Um, and I like this track. Yeah, I thought this one was pretty cool. I think it's uh, it's an obvious direction to take. Mm-hmm. Uh because they kind of really, I mean, you mentioned last week Saturn's Bars having a phase one vibe uh, to you. This definitely drags it kind of kicking and screaming firmly back into the phase one side of things for yeah, me. Yeah, it's almost like a, I almost get kind of like a Space Monkeys vibe from this one. Absolutely. In fact, and tell me if you think this is corny, but okay, so Banks and Ranks, I believe there are a couple of white dudes from Montreal. Okay. Uh, <laughs> and they call their music ECM. Which is electronic Caribbean music? Yeah, that seems corny to me. Yeah, I'm not sure how I feel about that. Part of it is just the name bugs me because yeah. it's like you're not in or from the Caribbean. Exactly. I mean, obviously, you're pulling a lot of influence from those dudes, and that's that's fine. I got no problems with that. But you know, that's the Drake that's... dilemma. <laughs> it is. That is. He really Drake really gave that whole country permission. <laughs> I, I like that. I like how frequently we're talking about Drake on this podcast. Well, how, I mean, he's a looming specter over yeah, the whole does, of pop music. He dominates the entire discourse right now. But let's talk about this one. I think it's pretty cool. Do they kind of like modulate Popcan's vocal or something? Or yes. is this a different take? Yes. No, I'm pretty sure that. Okay, so there is obviously there's some uh, auto tune on the original on the original version. Uh, I wonder if these guys got a non-auto-tuned version of his vocal that they could kind of uh, affect that to their liking. It, yeah. But yeah, it, it there's times where the melody of Popcan's uh, verse really it really departs from the the album version or the single version anyway. Yeah, pretty cool deviations um, though. I like it. Definitely, definitely. And and when it when the track kind of slows down when Damon comes in, it's got a really kind of haunting, a really nice synth melody and yeah, yeah, it really highlights some aspects of Damon's part that I think don't come out as much maybe in the original. The use of like the hologram bridge is particularly good. It really puts him in the spotlight there. Yes, absolutely. I completely agree with you. And I recommend that uh, if you're listening to this and you haven't heard these tracks that you do track them down. It is it's not super easy to track them down right now because they really exist in this obnoxious ripped from BBC radio stream form. Yeah, I had to have um, you send me them. Yeah, you can find them. If you Google around, you'll find them. In mm-hmm. fact, I think the Gorilla's Twitter account posted like links to the stream, so you can you can find it from there. Something I would out. also like to do is I would like to start using our Twitter account to maybe post some links to stuff like that after we like uh, release these episodes. So like maybe if we talk about, I don't know, a track that a Gorilla song samples, we can post a link to that song so people can kind of get into those little niches of the band's i don't know music making process hey that's a really good idea actually in fact because i well not to not to give anything away but we will be talking a little bit about some past phase material in this episode yes i'm stoked Uh, to get to that but like you said so i want to also mention in this uh in this topic uh so today it's sunday as we're recording and gorillas tweeted today uh more remixes dropping this week with like the little the little eyes emoji you know the eyes. You know which one I'm talking yeah, about. Yeah, yeah, I right? saw that. I saw that. Uh, 
And that's cool. So that means this week we're going to get some more. I think what we're probably definitely going to see is uh, there's a remix of Andromeda by an artist named Zhu. Okay, uh, Z-H-U. cool. I'm not saying I'm not saying Zhu. I'm down for that. Uh, he played that live, so I think we're probably going to hear that nice. this week. Uh, but then this is crazier, Trevor. This is crazier. So somebody responded to that tweet, just a random fan, and said, in all caps, instead of remixes, drop more songs. Okay. And I mean, I'm sure you know. You imagine at Gorillas must get messages akin to this five thousand times a day. Um, but instead, they did respond directly to them and said very casually, "No caps." <laughs> yeah, that too this week. Nice. <laughs> so, do we know who's running that account? I don't know. Who was the zombie flesh eaters guy from back in the day who uh, used to do all their web stuff? Yeah, well, maybe it's him, or it's probably their writer uh, slash drummer. Maybe what's Cass or something? Oh, oh, uh, Cass, Cass Brown. Yes. Uh, or, or I guess it could be Remy Kabaka also. Mm-hmm. But anyway, yeah, uh, really funny way to announce that potentially we're going to hear something new this week. I imagine maybe we'll hear uh, Submission, the Danny Brown track. That I don't could know. Be cool. we'll hear. I know a clip of that one uh, leaked pretty early on, it like did. before even the it singles did. came out. Uh, more on that. Well, maybe we'll have some new Gorillaz music to talk about next week. That'd yeah. be cool. Hope so. Uh, Trevor, do you want to get into the roundtable? Yes, let's do it. that music cue should give you and also the title of this episode should give you all the clues you need to know that this week's uh topic is that we're going to review the 2001 self-titled gorillas debut album yeah and i've been stoked to get to this i mean we i think it's pretty cool that we have just enough time in between when we started the podcast and when the new album comes out to kind of cover each LP leading up to it. I think we might skip the fall and come back to that at a later date, but I'm really looking forward to sitting down with you and talking about the self-titled Demon Days and Plastic Beach. Me too. And it's going to be such a cool way to kind of, you know, get the hype train moving into overdrive. Mm-hmm. leading into the release of Humans. Uh, well, I think what we're going to do, Trevor, is go track by track with this. Yeah, that's a pretty good idea. But before we do, let's let's try to have like a, a broader conversation about the record, what it means to us, and what we think about it, you know? Sure. I mean, this was the, your, uh, first, your first encounter with the band, right? It was. Uh, yeah, Clint Eastwood made me buy this album... Hearing hearing that song on MTV2 and seeing that video on MTV2 made me buy that album the day that it, that it came out. Um... I actually, I wrote down three words that are like the three words that describe this record uh, to me. Okay. And they also describe it in contrast to the other two Gorillaz records for me. Interesting. I'll say them and then you tell me if you concur, okay? All right, let me hear them. The first word is fun. Uh, The second word is consistent. And the third word is a hyphenant, so maybe it's a little bit cheating. But the third word is in character. I'll give you that. Uh, that to me, or that sums up my feelings of this record, comparing it to Demon Days or Plastic Beach. All right, I'll give you, I'll give you two out of three. Two out of three. Which one, which one do you, are you knocking down there? I'm going to knock down, uh, Consistent, because I think this is, uh, kind of the broadest Gorillaz album, the one where Damon decides to try as much as he can, and some of it works, some of it doesn't quite work, but it all makes for a very eclectic experience, I think. I don't think I can disagree with that. I think I think maybe yeah. The the thing is, consistent comes for me is because there's really no skips on this record for me. Uh, I when I listen to this record, I usually li- listen to it in a straight shot all the way through, and I don't find myself going like, oh, I want this one to end so that I can get to this one. I just kind of let it wash over me. That's fair. But uh, how about you? What do you what do you think about where does self titled? fit into the canon of Gorillaz Records for you? I'd actually like to just keep talking about uh, those words you threw out, because I think they're some great prompts for what I want to talk about, about this record. Yeah. So what was that first one you said? So the first one I said was fun. Yeah, and I definitely agree with that. This is like the breeziest Gorillaz record. There are so, there's so much going on here that just kind of feels off the cut, and like in the spur of the moment, Damon thinking like, I want to do this, and then he does it, puts it on record, 
boom. Yeah, and I feel like they, there's a there's a, a sunshine and a bubblegum element to this record that maybe isn't quite as present on the future ones too. Totally, it is. It really has that kind of pre nine eleven sense of optimism. <laughs> it sure does, man. Yeah, like like the, I know the that's that the second all... time I've brought up nine eleven on this podcast, <laughs> but I really do think this record kind of captures that brief moment in two thousand where we were like, it's a new millennium. Anything is possible. This is going to be great. <laughs> right. Absolutely. You're totally right. And, and you know, some of the late 90s music, I feel like, is hurt from from being so earnest and optimistic in that way, uh, in a way that I don't think that the Gorillaz album is. I think that the Gorillaz album has actually aged pretty well, with a few exceptions that we'll kind of get into all right, cool. uh, interested in who we, But the other this. word that I brought up was in character. Right, and what that brought to my mind is the use of samples on this album. Because something that I've always found really, something that has always been really immersive to me about this record is I can never be sure what's being played organically and what's a sample that Damon or Dan the Automator or anyone else kind of dug up. Yes, and based on this really, really great uh interview with uh jason cox and uh tom Gerling from way back in the day after the release of this album that i just recently revisited it really sounded like based on what what they were saying that one of dan's main roles dan the automator's main roles in this record as a producer was to bring a layer of samples onto this record uh, it sounds like uh, actually quite a bit of the tracking for this album was finished before Dan even came on. Interesting. And if I if if I had to extrapolate from some of the things they say in that record, it almost sounds like they might have even tracked a lot of live drum tracks that were later just thrown in the garbage uh, huh. in exchange for some Dan the Automator sample work. Um, but that's a really fascinating interview. I, I don't know how to get that interview to you guys, our listeners. Let me see if I can find it, and I'll post it on our Twitter. Cool, yeah, uh, I'd be interested in reading that, too. Something that I just really love about the use of samples here is it feels like uh, Damon and Dan sitting down and thinking, okay, what kind of music would these characters we've come up with play? Yes, and then yes. them reaching through, like, all of musical history and going like, oh, Murdoch might have written this bass line. Let's throw it in there. Yes, I complete. That's exactly what I mean. Like, there's this feeling that everybody is keeping up the illusion in this record musically, uh, that really doesn't follow it to the next two albums as much. Uh, I would even say that Damon on this record employs a vocal register that isn't necessarily his own. Like, he's singing very consciously in a way that's kind of like I'm singing as this character, and this is the way that this character sings. He creates you know? the two D voice. I I really like this album. I, I you know I think that. In some ways, it's it sounds a bit more dated than the other two, but I, but uh, there's something about it that makes it feel like the purest Gorillaz record. I agree. I agree with you on that. Uh, let's get into the tracks. Yes, I'm excited for this. Okay, uh, let's talk about. I listened to the album today. Did you also listen? Yeah, today? I listened to it like an hour ago. Sat down, kind of got my thoughts in order. Yes, I had a I had a, a cup of tea. And I feel like every time I listen to this record, I find new things to appreciate about it and different things stick out to me than last time. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so let's talk about the album opener, uh, Rehash. Rehash. What do you think of that title, first of all? Because it's an interesting kind of thing to call the, your first track on your first album. Yeah, so it's. I feel like the lyrics of this song are almost circling this idea that they never quite put any punctuation marks on. That like maybe the song is a, is a, is a little bit of a, a commentary on disposable pop music. Yeah, industry kind of stuff. And, and rehash kind of plays into that read of it. I think um, you know, sort of corporate commercial music. Mm. Obviously, back on the phase one. Uh, when when Jamie and Damon were talking about this stuff, when they occasionally did, back in Phase One, they they were always really quick to bring up like you know American Idol and the the kind of garbage uh, cookie cutter pop music of the era, uh, and that this music was very much in reaction to that music. I don't know if that that concept really comes through on the album, uh, but in this song it kind of does. This Definitely, is a really yeah. fun, sunny. Uh, 
track. I like it does set the tone for the album well, I think. Um My favorite thing about this one is the arrangements. There is so much cool, like subtly weird stuff going on about in this track. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I like the little uh I don't know what instrument that is, that little dun 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 dun, dun that little breakdown that sounds kind of like maybe a, a a string instrument, maybe an eastern string instrument. I hear like a harpsichord. Sure oh, that part. I hear like a sitar. That could be a sitar, yeah. And then there's like a harpsichord that comes in over that like ba 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 kind of interlude. That's one of my favorite parts of this. Song. I love that. I love so that good. interlude too. That's like almost hocketing levels of, of vocal layering. That's really fun. It's very Beatles esque as well. It is. Yeah. And Miho Hatori just seamlessly blends into the vocal track on this. Totally. Um, it was interesting that they were almost kind of like trying to cast, like you said, Damon created the 2D voice. And I think Miho Hatori was a very deliberate kind of uh, choice as a collaborator when you have a character like Noodle in the band. Yeah, there's there was like this very kind of like, let's associate the visuals with the sound and let people see this character in their head. Mm-hmm. I really definitely see the band in my head when I hear this song. Definitely, more so than on the other records probably. Yeah, great track, good opener. Before we move on, what do you think here, I'm, tr- I'm gonna try not to ask this question about every song, what do you think here is sampled? What do you think is actually being played? Because I think on this song, it is very difficult to tell. So, okay. So when I was listening today, I did go to whosampled.com uh, just to see what people have picked out from these mixes as being sampled. Okay. Uh, obviously, that's not encyclopedic or, or, or completist or anything like that. Yeah, of course so not. it didn't have anything listed for rehash. But uh, I think that there's probably more live instrumentation and live synth work on this than on some of the other tracks on the record. Mm-hmm. Um I would imagine that those weird harpsichord and sitar interludes were live. Nice. Uh, that seems I could I could definitely picture Damon sitting down in the studio with something like that. But I don't know. I don't know. Nothing in this one really jumps out to me as as obvious sample. I'm pretty know. sure though that the um, opening drum loop and I guess the drums that play throughout the entire song is this is a preset or like you know the same drum loop that Bare Naked Ladies used in Pinch Me. <laughs> oh my god! Listen, listen to them back to back. I'm positive it's the same exact sound. Oh, we're definitely posting a link to that Bare Naked Lady song on our Twitter. Totally. Uh, that's awesome. I'm definitely going to do that. As soon as we're done recording, I'm going to do that. Yeah, you want to go to 5-4? This is a pretty cool one. Five four. I think I, this all, you know, this song was almost a single. Really? Uh, oh, yes, yeah, I do was, remember that. They even, like, uh, they almost tried to make a video about it. Oh, God, that was the first... That was the first time we saw Murdoch's dick. We did see Murdoch's dick all the way back in phase one. You're right. I can't you're believe right. I forgot about that last time. Oh, boy. You know what? Maybe we should just shut this whole thing down. Maybe, <laughs> maybe we should just ghost each other and never speak again. Yeah. Uh, I don't think it would have made a good single. I'll say that. Definitely It would have been no. the follow-up to Clint Eastwood mm-hmm. if it had been a single. Uh, but whoever's decision it was to, to shift gears and go to 19-2000, maybe that was Parlophone. That was a good choice Very in my good opinion. Choice, yeah. I do like this song. I think it's really catchy. I think it's it feels like the most direct continuation of some of the 90s Blur stuff to me on this record. Yeah, um, I mean, rehash into this one, it's, it's interesting that they chose to preload the record with these kind of very guitar-driven tracks because that's not really what yeah. I associate with the gorilla sound anymore. I, I, you know what my favorite part of the song is, actually? It's when the beat and the guitars drop out uh, and you hear the little organ isolated. Yes, that weird-ass little synth is so cool. It's almost like you forget that it's back there the whole time, mm-hmm. but then after that moment, you hear it for the rest of the song. It's really you know? neat. yeah. Let's take this track as an opportunity to talk about Kid Koala. Okay. Uh, because I feel like on this record, more so maybe even than Miho Hattori, Kid Koala is a member of this band. He tears shit up on every track he's on. He he is a turntablist. But I want to really talk good. about I that's one of the elements of this album that I feel like has dated slightly. I don't think that you would hear uh, a a an alternative or a pop group putting this much turntablism up front in the mix like this as you hear on this record. I I, I still like that stuff, but I, it sounds more 2001-ish to me than the rest of the record does. I think Linkin Park just drove that sound into the ground. <laughs> I well, I mean, <laughs> Fred Durst and, and company tried. Yeah, 
Yeah. I definitely think that Kid Koala works better on a Gorillas track than Turntables worked on, on a Lincoln Park or a Limp Bizkit track. <laughs> I will say that. He had a, he had a pretty good run uh, around that time, Kid Koala. You know, he had this. He was on uh, Deltron. He was on those Handsome Boy Modeling School records, which were really yeah, good. Yeah, those are cool records, yeah, too. Uh, definitely and worth, he's still actually out. very active. We follow him on our Twitter, and uh, and he's still quite active in the in the music world. So. Nice. Kid Koala, come on the show. And the, here's the one part of the song that I'm not crazy about. It's the, the come on after the She Made Me Kill Myself sort of breakdown uh, when it kind of gets a little industrial and starts stomping towards the end of the track. Yeah, Damon does like a couple like rock star moves on this album, and I think they tend to fall flat. Yeah, that's not my favorite part of the song. I do mm. like the song though. Yeah, very catchy. Uh, tomorrow comes today. This is kind of like the first Gorilla song ever, right? Yeah, this was the one that I guess. How did it work? If you were like on a Blur fan on the official Blur fan list, I guess. Uh, back in 2000, maybe in the end of 2000 even, uh, you got a little mailer that pointed you towards a website uh, that had the Tomorrow Comes Today video on it. Really? I that's, that's cool. I've never heard of that. I think that's how it worked. I might, be, I might be mixing up a few details, but it was something like that. Well, this song actually started life as a Blur demo. It did. I got the law. Yep. Uh, which was from the 13 yes. era? Mm-hmm. I can't remember how it was so originally released. that's a pretty long time. Yeah. For that to percolate. That's like a five-year gap, I think. No, between... no. 13 was like 1999. Oh, is that true? I think okay. so. Uh, well, I'm way off. <laughs> but anyway, that demo's interesting. That demo's really interesting. The, the I actually think that Tomorrow Comes Today, at least in that first verse, really feels kind of direct, directly talking about Damon's relationship with paparazzi and celebrity to me in a way that is sort of out of character for this album. Um, but, you know, he was... We have to remember that in 2001, that dude had really been through the ringer as like a tabloid guy. Definitely. You know? I mean, the entire Blur versus Oasis thing in the 90s. Yeah. And, and there's sort of a, I don't know, there's something about like, everybody's here with me. We got no camera to see. Uh, there's just something about, it feels like a moment of quiet in the middle of a media circus to mm-hmm. me. I could definitely agree with that. I like the song a lot, actually. I think it's really beautiful. I've um, never really fallen in love with it to the point that a lot of other Gorillaz fans, I think, have. Right. I don't know. There's something about it that just doesn't quite take it there for me. I do really like the whistling at the end. It's very Enyo Moroccan-y. Or, sorry if I'm there's a, that there's last a, uh, Yes, there's that whistle solo. Yeah. And, then, and then it's teed up by the first really big feature for the melodica on the album. <laughs> yes. Uh, this is a melodica pop record, if ever there was one. I almost wish, like, if there was a version of this song with live track drums instead of the sample drums, I would have loved to hear that. Because those really, those really, really heavy boom bap drums kind of detract from a mood that the song almost sets and doesn't quite get there for me. I mean, I've actually always found that sample to be pretty integral to the way the song moves. I don't want that version in lieu of the version we got. I want that version in addition to the version we got, just so I would have like kind of two takes on it. It definitely would be interesting to hear. So you know, that's one reason why I'm excited that uh, apparently every song on the new album has an alternate take on the Very deluxe cool. edition. I could, I don't know, I could listen to Gorillaz outtakes and stuff that hit the cutting room floor for like hours, probably. Uh, let's talk about New Genius. <laughs> I really like this one. This one, I think, kind of goes for a similar mood to Tomorrow Comes Today, at least a similar sound, and I've always found it to be a little bit st- the stronger of the two. Okay, I'm going to say right now, this is one of my three favorite songs on this album. Nice. I like that. That's I, cool. I, I feel like this song is a little bit under-discussed and a little bit underrated uh, in the Gorillaz fan community. It's interesting you say um, that, because this is the one song from the album that they never have played live. Which is crazy. Yeah, it's That's so weird. That's crazy to yeah. me. Like, it's nuts to me that they would play, I don't know, Starshine live and not ever play New Genius. Like, I, think they, I think they also might not have played um, Double Bass 
I don't think I don't, I'm not sure if they played that live, but I don't know if their live band in Phase One was was hardy enough to pull off double bass. We'll talk about that when <laughs> okay. we get to that song. But yeah, I'm so surprised they never played this one live because it's one of Damon's strongest vocal performances on the record. I think Absolutely. it's got one of the best hooks. Oh, I love that hook, and I love the lyrics in that chorus. Yeah, yeah totally. Uh, Very soulful. Uh, the, yeah, the river ain't deep. That's such a good chorus, mm-hmm. and I and. The other thing that was really striking me about the song today that it hadn't until I listened to it today is that this song actually really closely follows 12-bar blues structure. Interesting. Uh, even though, the obviously, the groove of it does not have a blues feel at all, uh, but the way that it sort of drones on the, the first chord and... and waits until that third set. Well, anyway, this is all music nerd stuff. Mm-hmm. But if you if you listen to the structure of the song, it's actually quite bluesy, which is interesting because the the scratch interlude, the Kid Koala scratch interlude, uh, is a Bo Diddley sample. I know, yeah, that's um, pretty cool. Kid Koala's performance on this track, by the way, is incredible. Maybe the best on the maybe album. Maybe my favorite. Yeah, that's yeah. my favorite Kid Koala appearance on this record. Like, that's one moment on this record where I'm not like, does this still fit? Yeah, he really sound? goes for it at the end. Uh, I've always also kind of gotten a little bit of a Bond theme vibe from those backup uh, chorus vocals. I feel that too, yeah. I like that song a lot, mm-hmm. New Genius. And of course, this is the calm before the Clint Eastwood storm, so I guess oh let's my get God. into <laughs> The big single from this record, and I think... Is it still the biggest Gorilla single, or did Feel Good Inc. eventually surpass it? Feel Good Inc. Feel Good Inc. surpassed it commercially. Okay. Um, if you look on on Spotify, it always anchors number two uh, as the most played Gorilla song after Feel Good Inc. Gotcha. What's there? Um, what's there even left to say about this one at this point, though? That's what I was thinking. Like, what could we possibly say about Clint Eastwood? Uh, I played this song into the fucking ground when yeah. I was a kid, man. What's your What's your uh, favorite part of this song? It's got to be the Dell verses, man. I, those, I mean, the hook is one of the best hooks Damon Albarn, I believe, has ever or will ever write. Uh, but those Dell verses, like the note that I took is this is the Dell verse that pulled a lot of white boys out of rap music obstinance. <laughs> like this was the moment where a lot of kids who let who used to say I like everything except rap and country. <laughs> dumped rap from that list of things they don't like. I mean, you're not wrong, probably. That's such a good verse, though. It's so colorful. It's so fun. It's athletic. I mean, even today as I was listening to it, trying to listen to it with fresh ears, which is not an easy thing to do, uh, I was just like, God, that's such a good verse. It's It's just an iconic performance. Absolutely. My favorite part, though, is uh, at a minute and 16 seconds into the song, you can hear the sound of what is clearly uh, Damon doing a line in the studio right before he records the second chorus. <laughs> Have you noticed that? Yeah, I've, I mean, I've distinct. had that pointed out to me before. I've had that pointed out to me before. Yeah. yeah. This is, by the way, probably my favorite uh, Damon vocal performance on record. I really like yeah. the way he sings this it's one, also, what he does with his voice. It's also a vocal performance I don't think he's ever perfectly recaptured in a live setting. Totally, yeah. Um, like the woohoos from song two. It was just a once-in-a-lifetime kind of thing. Yeah, you got you got the perfect version on the record, and yep. that's the last you're going to hear of it. I also think it might be my favorite melodica moment on the record. Totally, um, yeah. Again, that Ennio Morricone uh, kind of influences all over this one. That might be the most prominent melodica moment in the history of pop music, yeah, even. definitely. <laughs> like the only time you will hear a melodica on the radio. Also on that amazing uh, uh, Jason Cox interview, they talk about trying to convince David to play less melodica on the record. <laughs> he really brought out some annoying stuff for this one. I mean, we'll talk about the recorder part on Rock the House, I guess. Oh, yeah, we sure will. I really do like that there is a like an extended two-minute instrumental outro for this song. What do you think about that? Because it strikes me as such it's a deliberate so choice. It's so long. It is so long. Like, wh- uh, like... Yeah, I don't know what to make of it even still. Like, if you have you ever heard the instrumental version? Because the instrumental version does not have a fade. Right. The that's the only one that I think finishes like gets to the actual conclusion. Right. It's a little over six minutes, probably. A little over six minutes, and it's really interesting too. There's some. There's a little bit of like uh, organ and synth stuff that goes on at the end of that track that you don't hear on the album version. Yeah. Um, I don't know what to make of that super droning ending. Like. You know, I, obviously the single version doesn't include that much of an outro. It cuts it pretty um, fast. 
One of my favorite things about this song, uh, I'm pretty sure, is that it's really just an omnichord preset. Damon has this uh, omnichord, right? It's this weird little synth instrument. I'm pretty sure that when you just press a button on it, it'll go like, bam, 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 bam. And like, so he just turned it on and he's like, I'll make a song out of this. And it's like the biggest <laughs> song of his entire career. I know, so crazy. One of the most iconic moments yeah. in his in his now verging on 25-year career as a, as a songwriter. What is the what is the end of side one in the vinyl version of this record? Do you know? That's a good question. Let's look. Th- let's look that up. Yeah. Because I actually think that this album is pretty well sequenced. Uh, it's really always. I've always seen this record as having three distinct uh, thirds. Me too. Yeah. I well. I. I. Yeah. I think one of those thirds is a little bit lopsided. Um. But that's kind of how I've read it too. I just so real quick the the. Uh, uh, okay, so then let's talk about the way that things are divided up on the vinyl. So on the vinyl, uh, Clint Eastwood is the s- first song of the second side of the first disc. That makes sense to me. Which I think actually is really good. So that means side one of of your first disc has a really clear build mm-hmm. into Clint Eastwood. Uh, and I was the reason I wanted to look this up. We'll talk about the the track listing a little bit more as we the sequencing a little bit more as we get through the album. Is that this moment, this Clint Eastwood moment, definitely feels like a gear shift uh, on the record to me? I don't know where you see it in your theory of how this album is sequenced. Well, I think the album can be broken up into thirds, which would make uh, Clint Eastwood kind of the end of the first third, and I think sure. the you know extended instrumental outro really makes for a good kind of, you know, ending to this first leg of the record. I agree. And then Man Research, that, like, uh, the intro of that one has always struck me as kind of like, okay, now we're going to leg two. So I guess that's where I would... where we are now. That's where I would... Let's talk about Man Research. Let's talk about Man Research. This is a, the subject of a lawsuit, this song. Really? Yeah, that Raymond Scott uh, sample, the Hall of the Mountain Queen sample. I don't know if you know much about Raymond Scott, but he's a fascinating dude. I have heard, uh, um, after uh, the sample was pointed out to me like forever ago, actually, I sat down and listened to the big, long compilation of his work that it's from originally. I, he's right, he's done some pretty research, cool stuff. Manhattan Research Incorporated, yeah. which this song gets its name from. That's uh, a- but, this, but the sample was not cleared, and so... His estate sued uh, for successfully for some money on this one. Damon, um, it's a cool little track, by the way. The uh, song it samples, "Hall of the Mountain Queen." It has. It's a really interesting sample. Yeah. And I mean, as soon as you hear it, you're like, "Oh, okay, yeah." It's really. It really underpins the the track. Uh, you know that dude, Raymond Scott. Not to get too much into him, he died penniless. So <laughs> any any extra dollars his money can make, his music can make, I'm uh, I'm all for it. Yeah. Uh, I like this song. Me too. I think this is one of the more underrated uh, tracks on the album, I think, and in their catalog in general. I've always been a really big fan of it. Um, I think the vocal performance performance is really good in this uh, song also. I don't know what he's singing. I do not know what he's singing in this song at all. I've always seen, um, whenever I've looked up the lyrics, apparently he's singing in the chorus somewhere, You're the Hero? I've never heard that ever. Where would that even happen? I have no idea. Yeah, I don't know. This is this is like obviously sort of intentionally obfuscated Damon vocals. Yeah, uh, very mush mouthy. I really wish they had opened up the live shows during Phase One with this one. I can see it so clearly in my head, right? Like the stage lighting up, the band starting. This is the Breakfast Club. Yeah, and Damon going like, "Hello, ladies and gentlemen. I'm Damon Albarn. These are the Gorillas, and this is a Breakfast Club." <laughs> that would have been dope. It would have been so good. Yeah, it would it would have been a good a good pump up. I mean, M one A one also obviously did its did its job. Yeah, we'll talk about M one A one dates. Uh, great synth noises on this song also, like sort of the atonal uh, sound effects work on Man Research is really fun. You want to uh, move on to punk? Yeah, let's talk about punk. It's kind of cool. Neat little song. It's, yeah, it's slight. Yeah, I think That's there's a Murdoch quote from Phase 1 where he says he thinks, like, every album should have, like, 
one track where it's just like a short little loud punk song to kind of, you know, fill that role in the record. But I'm pretty sure right. that's actually a Damon. Like, that's one of Damon's opinions. That's because what I was going to say. If you go through Blur's, almost every Blur record, yeah, if you go through Blur's discography, every, like, album has one song like this. You know, like, Bank Holiday. Some of them are fucking great. I love Moving On. I think Moving On is one of my most, one of the most underrated Blur tracks. I really like uh, Globe Alone from The Great Escape. Yeah, absolutely. This is a really well-produced song, Punk, I feel. Uh, it's It's sort of... Uh, did you, you've seen Bananas, the documentary. Yeah, I really wanted to talk about this part of Bananas because it's maybe the best part of the movie. You basically get to see him build this track uh, in the studio from the ground up. Yeah, from start to finish. It's it's inspiring. It's really cool to watch. Mm-hmm. My favorite part of the whole thing is when he's like, the second verse needs something, and he just starts looking for noises. Yes. First sort of like improvising vocally, and then like going to his wall of synthesizers and samplers and trying to find that little missing element. I, I think uh, we'll probably do an entire Bananas episode sometime down the line. I would like to at least. I'd like to, too. That's a cool documentary yeah. for sure. It's it's all on YouTube if you want to go watch it. Yeah. You can. Uh, yeah, not a bad song. Not not uh, an album highlight for me. Yeah, fun um, little track. But but pretty expertly put together, yeah. I think. Meticulous, surprisingly so. Yeah, what do you uh, think about sound check. Soundcheck Gravity was my favorite song on this album when I was 13. That surprises me. It's my least favorite song on the album, probably. <laughs> it has not aged super well for me. Yeah, um, I really do like um, Damon's vocals, and I like the acoustic guitar. I think he recorded those up on a roof in Jamaica, and it also kind of captures some of the night sounds. So there's like a cool field recording quality. Oh, to I it. love... What's his name? Junior, uh, the bassist who worked on this record. Yes. Uh, Junior... I can't remember his last name. Junior Dan? Uh, Isn't it Junior Dan? Is it not Junior Dan? I love I love that bass line, though. Yeah. That I mean, bass line is this record is... Gorillas have a history of good bass lines, and it really just clicked for me, like, on the last time I listened to this record, that of course they would, because this is a band where the bass player is a megalomaniac. So that strikes me as so in character, that, like, Clint Eastwood, Feel Good Inc., these are, like, their biggest songs are all bass line driven. That's totally true. Yeah. Like, I never thought about that before, but yeah, Murdoch totally sees himself as the leader of yeah. this band. Oh my God. That makes so much sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, I guess my, here's my only problem with this song is that it, to me, it feels in retrospect a lot like one half of a song that is repeated twice. Definitely. I cannot believe uh, it's almost five minutes long. It's so long. Yeah. It really should have, it should have just been that first half and then done. One and done, it would have been fine. If it was three minutes long, I would like it a lot better. What's that voice saying? Um, what's that voice saying during the scratching part? I couldn't find the sample. Okay. Um, what do you hear though? But well, I've always thought it was uh, like when I was a kid. I think I thought it was "Don't want to fuck with Biggie." Interesting. I because I have in my notes "Don't want to fuck with me." But I, there's some there's some dumb stuff going on on Rap Genius about it that I don't totally agree with. <laughs> what do they say? They think that it's. Uh, I don't know love is breaking? That's the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard. Let's go on to a uh, double bass. I think that this is still the definitive uh, instrumental track that this band has released. It's really cool. Uh, the name, it's Junior Dan, by the way. Junior Dan. Is the name of the yeah. basses. Cool. Uh, the reason that this song is called Double Bass is that this is Junior Dan and I think Damon playing a bass track simultaneously with each other. Sick. That's pretty cool. And it, there's times when like the notes are folding over each other in this really fucked up cool way where like they're directly like creating dissonance. I've always thought this song tracks. kind of sounds like um, a bunch of demons playing elevator music. <laughs> like this is this is what you hear when you're descending into hell, but you're kind of chill about it. That's amazing. Yeah. That's the best description I've ever heard of this song. I, there's also great noises on this song. Uh, it has a great mood. Um, I also think that the that the moment that Damon says, all of which makes me ang- anxious, sometimes unbearably so, is the only out-of-character Damon Albarn vocal moment on this record. What do you, what do you mean? That's interesting that you he's say speaking, that. He's speaking in a, in a register that is too low for 2D at that time. 
Okay, I can. I, I see what you mean. Can you picture 2D the character in the first album saying that? It, uh, I just can't. I cannot. I think it's interesting that you say that because I think canonically it is actually Damon talking. I think I remember that from Rise of the Ogre. That makes sense. Yeah. I haven't read Rise of the Ogre in many years, so I don't. I don't know. Me neither. But I'm pretty. That's one of the things I remember from it. I'm so yeah. It, I'm really tickled that you say that. Cool. I love, and I also don't think. I mean, we mentioned this earlier, but if they tried to pull this out on the Phase One dates, like. I don't think that their live band was there for, oh, the, for a track like this. Sick though. It would have been cool. I agree. Yeah. All right. I rock agree. the house. Rock the house. Uh, this is a. This is. I think. I think of this as Dan the Automator's like moment to shine on this album. It's kind of like an um, out of character Deltron Thirty Thirty song. Except it's a little bit too, like it has a little bit too much of a Gorillaz vibe for to fit on Deltron. I definitely agree with that. I, I was talking about the recorder. <laughs> yeah, I know people kind of have some gripes that Damon doesn't really uh, have any vocals on this track, but I think his presence on that shitty little recorder more than makes up for it. Oh, I totally agree. That that's is him playing, David right? It's not a sample? It. Yeah, that's that's live. You can even hear the isolated track of it uh, on the old Kong website. It's very cool, uh, which is dope. Yeah, um, I think this is a good choice for a third single, and I also think that this song is really important because it makes Dell's presence on Clint Eastwood not feel like tossed off or accidental. Right. It makes Dell feel like he's really a part of this record and a part of this project. And he's always been more of kind of an in uh, like of a more of an in-universe character than any of their other collaborators have really been. Except I, maybe most deaf, uh, as as sun, moon, and stars, or whatever his name was. Right, we'll talk about that when we get to Plastic Beach, because I'm still <laughs> not will. really sure what was going on with that one. Uh, yeah, the the sample on this track, by the way, is a song called Modesty Blaze by John Dankworth. Cool. Uh, I mean, obviously, the sample is kind of everything on this track. Yeah. I like it. I don't know. It does kind of stick out on the record a little bit. Like, it, it definitely sounds different than anything else on the record. I thought it was a really interesting choice for them uh, to issue a single without any, like, 2D vocals on it. Uh, 2000. This one's pretty cool, too. I... Some really interesting arrangements on this one. Okay, I'm going to say it. Top three. This is a top three song from the first record for me. I don't know if it makes it there for me. If it does, it's I... probably number three. Number three. This. I don't know. Yeah, that's a good question. I think my number three almost would... feels... I don't know. It just puts me in such a good mood. Uh, and something about this feels like this, the thesis statement of this first record. Like, this is the most unabashedly... Like, let's have a good time track on this record. Yeah, I can get behind that sentiment for sure. Doesn't surprise me it was a single. Oh, yeah. Definitely the I right can't, choice. I can't believe, like, Damon had this on the album, and he's looking at tracks for single. He's like, I think I'll go with 5-4. Five, 5-4. Four. Five, four, that seems like yeah. the obvious choice. Maybe yeah. it was just because it was so blurish that they thought that that would be the smart move. Possibly, yeah. Uh, Miho Hattori and Tina Weymouth are on this song. Yeah, I always forget that. Gorillas have collaborated with a member of the Talking Heads. I know, right? Miss, Mrs. Tom Tom Club herself. Yeah. Uh, I mean, in retrospect, it's not surprising. Which of those women do you think is saying, okay, bring it down, yeah, we go break out? <laughs> I have been waiting all week to talk about, <laughs> okay, bring it down now, we're coming back out. Like, who's saying that? Is that Tina Weymouth? Because I really want it to be. <laughs> or is it a sample? I don't know if it is. I don't think it is. I don't is. know. I, for, for years, I thought it was Damon doing some kind of jokey kind of hick accent. Right. <laughs> right. And that is actually still my first guess. Know who it would be cool if it was? Jamie. Oh, that'd be crazy. Has that he, would be pretty has cool. Has he officially ever sonically made an appearance on a Gorillaz track? Yes. He... Um, played a toy ray gun on hong kong a time oh my god you're right he did yep. yeah oh, that is so a sweet. deep piece of gorillas trivia that, that's i feel like you've really earned your wages this week between that and the <laughs> elevator ride down into hell analogy um, all right I'm, I'm i'll probably just phone in the rest of the, the uh, show then 
You want to talk about uh, Latin Simone? Yeah. Uh, I actually don't know how to pronounce the name of this one, so you say. Uh, que pasa contigo? No, you can't just say that. You have to. You have to. Well, Latin Simone. I'm pretty sure it's Simone. I think Abraham Ferrer's vocals are really beautiful, but I don't know if he fits on this record at all. That's probably what I would say, too. Yeah. Uh, like, Del feels so integrated in a way that Abraham really doesn't. And I feel like if this song had been on Phase 2 or Phase 3, like, you wouldn't have even thought about it because the, the band becomes so collaborator-focused. Um, yeah, and it also is kind of, it brings an older sound to this record that I think kind of clashes with the kind of like you know starry-eyed new millennium kind of vibe that the rest of it gives off and i also think that the instrumental track is just a little bit boring um interesting because i think barring clint eastwood this is the coolest in- instrumental track in phase one. Oh boy we're head to head on this i don't know it's i like the, the piano i, I the like the horns, shaker i like the shaker the whole thing and the fact that they um it was really really cool to hear them perform this one live uh as an encore with those demon days sets they did right this they did for, I think the encore was Hong Kong and then this one with uh, live footage of uh, Ferrer kind of doing the. Because he had vocal just recently take. passed, right? Wasn't he just that recently the... passed away. Yeah. But it really, like, it really, as you said, fits in well with the Demon Days tone, I think. It's the most Demon Days track on the record for sure. Totally. What do you think about the English version of this song versus the album version of this song? It's one of my favorite Phase One songs, the English one. You think, think Damon? Would you swap the them? Vocal. Would you swap them if you could? My ideal one would be a duet. Oh, that's a good idea. Take like because if you even look if if you look at the lyrics, Damon's lyrics are kind of almost an answer to this one. Or yeah, vice versa. yeah, yeah, yeah. Really what's remember. the matter with me versus what's the matter with you? Kind of. Yep. Would have been a great kind of duet. On yeah, the maybe album. they just didn't do their due diligence and and find a way to make Damon's approach and Abraham's work together that would have been better I agree I mean seriously when I was like 16 I probably threw that together in garage band and it worked really well <laughs> wow shots fired shots fired yeah. at the gorillas production team hey Damon get me to produce the next gorillas record <laughs> so is this the um we're now firmly into like the third act of this record I completely I agree this it's cool because in this last stretch I think things get a little kind of Maybe not even, maybe not darker, but definitely kind of vibey. I mean, moodier dumbier. for sure. Moodier yeah. for sure. Latin Simone is like a welcome to the new section of this record. And it's definitely, I would even say darker. I would. Uh, yeah. Uh, Starshine, let's talk about it. Yeah, that's a that's a good leaping off point for this one because it is kind of like the moodiest track on this record. It for is, sure, I think. Yeah, and I would even use the same word that I use to describe punk and call it a little bit slight. But I like the song more than I like punk. I think this one's really cool. It's very dreamy. It's very mesmerizing. More like late night Jamaican roof vibes. Absolutely, it's like it's like the most like dub dancehall moment on the record for sure. Yeah, Damon really wearing his. Uh, reggae influence on his sleeve yeah uh you know some people think that he's an ecm artist (laughs) (laughs) Uh, have you heard have you heard the phillips phil life cypher version of this yes but not for a very long time i should have before i I listened to this this i revisited it originally uh i revisited it right before we did this uh i i feel like we should Maybe we shouldn't talk about it if we're trying to still get somebody from this group on our podcast. Well, but I just do we, not. We, I do not think it works. Look, we took a shit I on think, on Phil Life Cipher last week, and I went back and listened to the sounder, and it, a little bit unfairly because I think they're actually really good on the sounder. The sounder goes off. That's like a really. That's a maybe one of the best girls' B sides. Yeah, I think I think that uh, that that was their best moment. You know. Yeah, I mean, no hate to Phil Life Cipher because the, honestly, their performance on their version is actually really good. It's the just lyrics. It's just, there's some weird lyrics. It's not even their lyrics. It's this is not a hip hop beat. Oh yeah, well that's for sure. <laughs> yeah, it does, it does them no service at all, and I can see why it kind of just made it onto the record as this kind of vibey near instrumental. Right, slow country. Mm-hmm. 
my second favorite song on the album. I think that the song is totally lovely, and I know that there's a constituency of uh, people who find the song obnoxious. Really? Yeah. I cannot believe that. I think it is so pleasant. I think everything about the band just clicks on this track. What a cool, it's like, like a mix of bitter and sweet, you know? Like, even yeah. the melody keeps kind of almost dipping its toe into like a minor key, but then coming back and being very chromatic and, and poppy. Yeah, and I mean, like, the kind of end with the uh, with Damon's wordless vocal that he just kind of does a little vamp on for the last, like, uh, Oh, that's a great ad-lib. That's a great it's ad-lib. It's so nice. It is the brightest part of this record. Uh, and and I also think we should point out that the specials are sampled on this this song in a big way, like that the beat and the sort of waving wind uh, come from from a special song called Ghost. Yeah, Down. that kind of hypnotic white noise sound. I'm really glad that it is the second to last track on this album. It's such a kind of nice note to have before M1A1 kind of takes us out. I've always seen this as like the proper closer if that makes sense yeah it's almost like they wanted to have their cake and eat it too so they gave us like a, a cathartic sweaty closer and like a down tempo uh sweet goodbye kiss goodbye kind of a, a closer and there's also something cathartic about this one especially following uh latin simone and uh starshine two of the moodier tracks this one is also moody but it's a completely different it's a complete flip side from those last two songs yeah i agree i agree um, M1A1. Hello! Hello! Is anyone there? Hello! Hello! I don't like this one. I know, we're about to go head-to-head, because this is top three for me on this record. That's absurd <laughs> for me. I don't know, man. I know that, I know that all of its tricks are really cheap. Uh, but there's something about the fact that the the song is divided halfway between the build and the and the explosion. Uh, there's something about the pub rocky la 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 hey uh, double track Damon vocals, and also the fact that it builds up the zombie motif that was so important to the band uh, on that first run of, of tracks. I fucking like the song, dude. I still like the song. I have no problem with Damon's, like, cheap tricks. I mean, this is a guy who's used, like, a gospel choir to invoke a sense of, like, epic emotion <laughs> more times than anybody right, should be right. able to. Yeah, I agree. But I don't know. I think the uh, zombie intro is kind of cool. It goes on way longer than it should. I never skip that intro. I love it. As soon as the song Improper starts, I don't know, you kind of lose me. It is just so... Oh, I fucking love that that ascending, super fast-picked guitar thing. The... I fucking love it, dude. Something I've always really enjoyed about the Gorillaz project that I don't think is discussed enough is how impressionistic the lyrics are. Like, I feel like Damon isn't really saying a lot on many of the Gorillaz songs, but... Right, they're kind, kind of, of like... He's writing from his id, like, in a very... Yes, that uh, is a perfect Instinctual way. And there's something that I really connect with about that kind of lyric writing. This song kind of sticks out from that. Well, it does name check the band. Which I hate. Uh, how do you feel about when when Dell name checks Russell? I think that's okay. I just do not like hearing Damon say, Gorillas say, want some. Yeah, I mean, it's hard for me to put up a real argument against that. It's it's not a great it's moment on this song. Gorillas with the <laughs> gorillas with the beat, y'all. <laughs> gorillas with the beat, y'all. Like, nah. I don't have any good counterpoints to make against what you're saying right now. <laughs> I do kind of like the Space Monkeys rework. Oh yeah, that is a pretty good one. Um, but it's still bad. I don't know. That's just I know. I I can accept that this song is not high art, but it works for me. It still works yeah. for me. Uh, yeah. All all told, I'm not gonna say where I put this album in my ranking of the albums because I want to kind of like couch that for down the road. Definitely. Yeah. We'll 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 do some power rankings at some point. We will. But all told, I really feel like this is this album remains pretty essential. If you're gonna get into this project, um, it is. I maintain the purest Gorillaz album. Yeah, for sure. There's there's less of Damon Albarn is less of a character on this album than he is on any of the future ones. 
Yeah, it's less Damien Albarn's experimental pop project and more four cartoon characters. Which makes a lot music. of sense, dude. It makes a lot of sense. I feel like Damon Albarn was sick of being Damon Albarn at this point. Like he was sick of fucking seeing his dumb mug on the front of the tabloids and who wouldn't be? It seemed like probably a comforting way to retreat from that to be like, I'm not myself anymore. I'm this other thing, you know? It makes a lot of sense. Uh Trevor, this was great. I I I don't know how to t- convince you that i'm not a fucking stooge for loving m1a1 um (laughs) i'm sure i'll have i'm sure i'll have some kind of dumb opinion on demon days it's possible it's possible but we'll get we'll get to that next time yes and uh until then if you want to reach out to us and share your thoughts about this record or anything else gorillas related uh you can hit us up on twitter at gorillas fancast uh, we now have a Tumblr. You can hit us up there at hallelujahmonkeys.tumblr.com. Email us hallelujahmonkeys at gmail.com or like us on facebook.com uh, slash hallelujahmonkeys. And hey, if you are listening to this on iTunes, uh, if this is not your first podcast, then this is also not the first time you've heard this, but it's really helpful to get people to write reviews of the show. Um, I also like reading them. Also, yeah, it does stroke our egos, but it but it yes. helps it helps the show as far as like search result placement and things like Visibility. that. Yeah, so so uh, if you want to leave us your comments and thoughts, we'll accept bad ratings too. We don't care if you want. Like I said, I love to fight online. It's true. Yeah, you can. We'll just click no. This review was not helpful, and move on. <laughs> Uh, well, uh, Trevor, I think that handles it. I don't have any, I'm all gorillas out. I have nothing else to say about this band this week. Yeah. So, uh, next week we'll get to demon days though. I'm excited for that. Me too. Uh, until next time I'm Dylan Flynn. I'm Trevor Ickrath. We still don't have an official sign off thing, do we? Well, you know what? We'll just, we'll just see you next week when we'll have done our due diligence and thought of a way to end this show. <laughs> yeah. I mean, hey, if you wanna if you wanna send some feedback, why don't you suggest something that we could say that'll sound cool at the end of this podcast? Oh yeah, we'll totally co-opt you being cooler Crowd, than us. Crowdsource, yeah, let's crowdsource our sign off. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, okay, yep. that's it. Goodbye. All right, see ya.